0: folks, this is Chris. Before we start our episode today, I wanted to take a moment and talk about something that was pretty important to me. May is Mental Health Awareness Month and as some of you may know, one in five Americans will suffer from some sort of mental health issue this year. As someone who has coped and struggled with depression and anxiety my entire life and is familiar with the highs of feeling too much and the lows of being completely numb, I've got some great news. Four of you are completely safe so you can ignore the rest of this PSA. But on top of that, one in five, one in 25 Americans will suffer from some sort of significant mental health issue this year, such as uh, schizophrenia. I've been lucky enough, I suppose, to be surrounded by amazing mental health professionals my entire life. And because of my upbringing, I've had more access to care and tools that I needed for coping and leading a relatively productive and healthy life. I recognize that others are certainly not as fortunate as me, especially in this circumstance. You may have noticed some thematic overtones to our podcast. Drew and I are unabashed in our admiration of food and beverage professionals who operate and hold themselves to their own personal standards of excellence and are transparent about how they operate. But that being said, while most of the world has found our industry in vogue, and glamorizes some of us on TV and in movies. Most of us are left without advocates uh, for our welfare. And in most cases, whenever we request support, we are just told to get a better job. I'll leave the obvious uh, societal and logical fallacies alone for right now. But I do want to say to all the misfits, the widows, the night owls, people pleasers, people who get itchy behind a desk the leave-your-shit-at-the-door-and-smiles-for-your-guest-passionate-industry-pros out there who might be listening. We see you, we hear you, and we are you, goddammit. And while the rest of the world might not see your value, we admire it. It's because of that we wanted to share a handful of resources for you or a loved one that might be in need that, that people just might not know are available to them. As I'm recording this, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, has announced that all health care providers and insurance policies must make health care free to essential workers. That is huge. This is the first time we're ever seeing this in the history of the U.S. as far as I know. And anybody in New York state needs to take advantage of that. Second, here in Sacramento is the Verity Project. It was started by a a friend of mine who owns South Restaurant. This is for homies who might not have the income or the access. It is therapy at low to no cost. $10 for a group session, $40 for a private. The rest of the cost is completely taken care of by the, by the restaurant. And this is simply because they feel the same way that, that we do, which is we don't wanna leave homies out in the cold who need help. Also, UCLA has launched an online resource of articles and videos with coping mechanisms and what have you. Um, you can find them at ucla.edu forward slash stand dash together. On top of that, there's covidmentalhealthsupport.com. All spelled spell is one word. Uh, it's operating nationally and is there to help find therapy and with supplemental articles and advice. Virusanxiety.com, a project by Shine, a self-care app um, to help through these uncertain times, has provided resources for anxiety and mental health in this global climate of uncertainty. All of these groups and pages offer something a little different, and we strongly suggest that anybody just look and find something that's exactly right for them. There's a lot of people that you can reach out to, especially community health centers, uh, which usually offer sliding scale fees. That's, again, low to no cost uh, therapy or other help that you might need. As someone who lost a good friend to suicide a few years ago, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the National Suicide Hotline number, that is 800-273-8255. Again, that is 800-273-8255. I've had a few really good friends who volunteered for the the, uh, hotline over the last few years. And please believe me when I say that you don't need to be in crisis to call. If you just need to hear a friendly voice, they are there for you please don't hesitate we all have some really good uh, and well-intentioned friends who offer a friendly ear and who eagerly ask us to call them and not to be afraid the problem with that is that when we have something real that we're dealing with or we don't even have the words for what it is that we're dealing with there's no way that they can help us they they themselves are not equipped with the tools That's why I wanted to take a moment before our regular show to let you all know that there are people out there who understand and get it. If you have information on more resources for low to no cost solutions, therapy, whatever, please reach out to us. You can uh, leave a voice message for Drew and I at anchor.fm forward slash good bottle podcast forward slash message. Again, anchor.fm forward slash good bottle podcast forward slash message. Just let us know so we can continue to share and take care of our homies. Until then, we'll just settle for nerding out on the industry, sharing stories, and hopefully a few laughs. Thanks for allowing me this moment. And now, on to our show. <laughs> galaxy far far away two men decided to start a podcast and maybe three people started listening then a couple more people then it was a small group this is that podcast welcome to the good bottle podcast i am your host chris sinclair uh, and i'm his reluctant co-host
1: drew Garrison. <laughs> i knew you'd like that hey so you happy all you all made- uh, may the 4th yeah, it's May. It's May the Fourth, and so it is appropriate. And I'm drinking tequila tonight because it'll probably be released on the fifth, which is Cinco de Mayo. So that's right. we're really just kind of hitting all the bases. But so in your intro, you said you called it a podcast, or that's what it sounded like. Oh, a podcast. That's my East Coast accent coming out. So um, did you ever watch, or did you watch the Netflix stand um, special? Oh, hello, with John Mulaney and Nick Roll? no okay so they play these older gentlemen in this like skit that they used to do on the nick roll show it was called too much tuna and they would prank oh yes people. Oh, yeah yes. They, they, yeah remember they would prank people with too much tuna and then that turned into a like a broadway show and it's this whole different thing well they just did a, a podcast during um for the quarantine and it is so goddamn funny and oh, no, um, they call it a podcast because they like, just totally botch words all the time. And there's so many times that I listen to it and it's like it's eight episodes and they're roughly around like 20, 25 minutes. So you can kind of get through them pretty quickly. And it is one of my favorite things ever. It's it's definitely been a highlight of the pandemic is listening to the uh, Oh Hello podcast. Oh, hello, podcast. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, so not
0: to plug other podcasts, but go check it out. I will. I will. That sounds like a, a a great way
1: to to occupy my drive to work. It's a lot of like deep, deep belly laughs. So <laughs> you good. should. You should enjoy it. Um, what are you drinking, bud?
0: I am drinking uh, Benedictine on the rocks.
1: What? Yeah. Bartender. Oh my God. It's fucking delicious. And an old this one.
0: Goddamn. That. I <laughs> yeah, I am an old bartender. That's right. Yeah. Uh, fucking nectar of the gods, man. It's fucking great.
1: For our listeners at home, what is Benedictine?
0: No one knows? Well, maybe that's the easiest way to say it. It's a French herbal liqueur sweetened with honey uh, made by Benedictine monks. Yeah. Uh, the, the no one knows the recipe. Not even the people who make it. Every they are like three master blenders, I guess. Master, I don't know. I don't know what their title is. Uh, or I I feel like maybe I should know. But uh, and each each monk each master has a third of the recipe.
1: Uh, very similar to chartreuse. I was about to say like and this is this is this is heavy on the chartreuse train is what. Yeah, I, it's it's the you're...
0: same because it's the same disciplines the same tradition um catholic monks making dope booze because you know they can because that's that's a that's a vice that's allowed in the catholic church so if they're going to do it why not spend hundreds of years figuring out how to do it better than anybody else <laughs> so i uh, at least for at least for benedictine and chartreuse they fucking nailed it
1: And they're still in there. Are they still producing in the exact same way?
0: Yep. As far as I know, I haven't. I haven't heard otherwise. It is
1: uh, just friggin' spectacular. Because they're owned by Bacardi. They
0: are owned by by Bacardi, but you know, usually that something like that, you um, you know, has to do more with funding and distribution rather than I, you know. Control of ingredients.
1: No, I know, but I'm just but, I'm just wondering. It's just kind of like, all right, guys, we've got you more We've got into more markets than you've ever been in before. We need to kick up production. We gotta share that recipe, you know? Or like modernize it or whatever. I I doubt that.
0: Cause it's not like the Catholic Church needs more money. But yet they keep asking and yet they keep asking yeah but hey, benedictine's been around since 1510 ish so you know do you want me to correct old. you right now or do you oh want please to... yeah please correct me
1: <laughs> oh i guess maybe if you're talking about benedictine in general um i'm just looking at their i'm looking at a website right now for it it's called wikipedia i don't know if you've heard of it no what is it um, it's a place of resources. And in 1863, Alexandre Legrand developed a recipe for a herbal liqueur.
0: Oh well, definitely don't believe me on the 1510 then. Yeah, it's just what
1: it says on the bottle. I wonder if I mean this might be just kind of like a general overview. I don't know. We should have fucking well. So the question There's, is: is which, layers here. What do you believe?
0: The marketing on a bottle or Wikipedia? (laughs) Wikipedia. (laughs) Wikipedia has horses. Look, man, all I know is this is delicious and old. And that's kind of until I get there and I can talk to people who make it. uh, I've never had a Benedictine brand ambassador come
1: talk to me. Have you have you ever met one? Well, I think the. I mean, I don't even think it's made by monks. Benedictine? I mean, there is no mention of that here. Oh, Chris. <laughs> I mean, your, your story was awfully close to green chartreuse. Are you sure you just weren't assigning it to the same the same story? No, I was – look, man. Actually, no, I'm, here look- we go. Here, when it talks about the recipe, it is a guarded trade secret uh, known to only three people at a given time. There you fucking go.
0: Jesus so
1: Christ. So there's that. Um, God I think, damn it. I think the inclusion of the church is something that maybe it was some Catholic guilt in you that you're trying to give them more credit than they, than they need. Right
0: yeah, that's entirely fair. That's probably my grandmother coming through me and uh, and ask me to go back to church. Yeah. because I never even about. did when she was alive, so
1: that's okay. Yeah. The, <laughs> the history here is – some old medicinal recipes that he had acquired from a religious foundation. So there there's some okay, there's a little bit in there, but it was really developed by let's see by monks at the Benedictine in Normandy. That's what I'm saying. See? But they're not still involved. Well, that's not my fault. It's kind of a blurry history.
0: Okay. Well, you know what? I I'm glad that you corrected me because the last thing we want to do on this podcast is really allow for misinformation to continue. We are all about proper information and facts, and uh, I apologize to our listeners for spreading, uh, you know, a good story.
1: Better <laughs> fall on the sword for that one. You're <laughs> fucking yeah.
0: I still stand by that. That it's delicious. And yeah, they have of the gods. Some, they, have
1: some, they have some cool like posters and stuff, like advertising posters.
0: I love old uh, old marketing posters, like from you know old Fernet posters are great. Old uh, old Chartreuse posters, old Aperol f- uh posters. Have All those old
1: advertisements are great. The uh, Lemonheart ones with the skinny man. The yes, yeah. those, are those are fantastic. Yeah, those are those are super cool. People, go look yeah. up old advertising for booze. Okay, do yourself a favor. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good time. Uh, Drew, what what are you drinking? Um, Is it made I, by monks? It's it's um, <laughs> you know what? It's not made by by monks, but this this person does have a little bit of tradition in their family. Are you um, sure? Well, did you know check what? Wikipedia? Uh, I don't think I think it's too new. Wikipedia doesn't have any sources on it yet. (laughs) Okay, what Um, is it? um, It is Lalo Tequila, and so uh, it is new. Oh, here we go. Here's a picture. Um, so their tequila is named after our founder Eduardo Lalo Gonzalez, the nickname given to him by his grandfather. Do you know who his grandfather was? I do, but why don't you tell the people? Okay. Don Julio Gonzalez. You might be aware of that brand, Don Julio. They're kind of a big deal. Um, (laughs) Kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, what what Lalo had decided to do with a friend of his was to create a truly pure Blanco tequila Um. all right so stop um, reading for the website and does it (laughs) add up you know it actually is really good i actually really do like it and they make a they actually um put a point of emphasis on it to say that they don't add additives which i think is really interesting and a really uh cool part so as we both know um you know Uh, Tequila can be 100% agave, but it can still have additives in it, which means there could be some sort of coloring agent. There could be some sort of sweetener. As long as it only is up to 1%, then it's totally fine. You can still call your tequila 100% agave, pure agave. Right, right. Um, Now, 1% doesn't sound like a whole lot, but of course, if you scale that up to thousands upon thousands of gallons of tequila, that 1% can be pretty significant and often is pretty significant. Um, this one again, kind of going back to, yeah, the 100% agave stuff, whatever. But the fact that they mentioned that they are additive free, uh, that's pretty unique, uh, within the industry right now, especially when it comes to newer brands, you know? Uh,
0: Definitely. I mean, they're, they're, as we experience with the Rocks tequila, you know, they're usually saying things that tend to be market friendly rather than, um, you know, brought to us by tradition. So that's
1: kind of neat. Yeah. You know, it's good. So, so right now they only have a Blanco, which is another good sign, right? That's a great sign that they're not just, you know, like, Oh, we had these reserve city. It's like, no, we're starting this brand. Cause apparently it started as a, as just like a small project, you know, maybe it's like one of those things. that's like, Hey Lalo, your home tequila is pretty good. You should sell this to other people. and, that's what happened but uh but yeah it's uh it's pretty cool it comes from hold on a second i just i just pulled up
0: you know i i will say uh while you're looking that uh don julio is still one of my favorite brands i know it's a huge brand i know you used to work with the brand uh, but i I have a very special place in my heart for for Don Julio. I think it's a fantastic tequila.
1: No, no, I think I think it is too. I mean, um, I'm actually tomorrow. I'm going to be hopefully picking up some some different marketing items, from them, which I'm really excited about. Um, oh, cool! I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Don Julio. I mean, it really kind of kicked off my my love for agave. Now, you know, it's is it a go to for me now? No, I think it's. I think as my palate has changed. Don Julio's become a little too sweet for me. Sure. Um, And I think, you know, that has to do with potential of additives being used. Now they don't confirm or deny it. Um, But I think when you drink it, you can kind of be like, all right, you know, this is just a little too sweet. Um, But it's still, it's still, that
0: that's their Blanco or across all their SKUs. I think they do. do Do you, I, I, I seem to feel like it's, it's more on their aged expressions uh, more than anything, but you know, it's still, it's what makes it market friendly. You know, which is a silly term and something that we kind of poo poo, but um, there's a reason that it is readily consumed. It's, you know, able to have have grown that is because people fucking love it.
1: Yeah. And if someone, if I'm at a bar and someone's like, Hey, can I buy you a Don Julio? I'm, I'm going to be like, yes, yes, right. you absolutely can. You know, and yeah. there are brands that I will say no to, you know, so, I, I'm, I'm aware. I've, I've seen you say no. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I, I've seen you bitch about it too. Like, really? I've got to drink this. That's pretty uh, entertaining for me, actually, because uh, I've got a, I've got a gut and I stomach pretty much anything unless it's healthy. And then I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. But uh, if, if it's got alcohol on it, I I'll throw it down uh but i like that you have standards so well
1: i mean and maybe a little yeah standards a little restraint um their website yeah i have neither uh (laughs) their their home splash page for lalo has this really great overhead view of it's like a mixture of like gold and um uh like this like really deep blue which is actually the makeup of their bottle and then you can see like a bunch of Vasa Veladoras on there, which I've never seen a Veladora associated with tequila. It's always associated with Mezcal. So that's kind what of What is cool. a Veladora? It's a, um, it's a shot glass. Essentially, it's a shot glass. Uh, but it's ridged across the entire thing on, on the outside. And then in the middle is a cross. And so the Vasa Veladora is what it's called. And it's just. I love those glasses. They are so cool um and they are typically or at least in my experience and again you got to be pragmatic about this right but in my experience it's always been associated with mezcal so this is the first time i'm seeing it with tequila um and then they also have some oranges in there uh which to me says that you know this is something that you should be able to really enjoy and that you're going to want to open up your palate too so there's like some subtle messaging there um there's also like some nuts and some chocolate there it's just it's a cool little image
0: yeah so it sounds like based on those it's meant to be consumed by people who know agave right because yeah in all the tastings when you're doing proper tastings you're never given you're rarely given limes, right because limes overpower your palate you know so you're not you're not gonna have that as a as a chaser, but a little bit of orange dipped in a little bit of pepper, a little bit of salt, you know, uh, uh, nuts, chocolate, cheeses, all those come in a proper tasting, in an educated tasting, um, versus what I think most people associate with agave spirits.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's something you see, you know really often. I mean I, I do I do love just the kind of the, the subtlety of this whole thing, you know, and speaking to that certain type of person. Um without being like too I mean it, it's definitely got like a little bit of elegance to it, but it's not too pretentious. I like it. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna send these to you. Cool. So you can Yeah I uh, I can't wait to check those out. Uh okay I'm gonna keep sipping on this uh, lovely lovely tequila and we are going to jump into our stories. So, or do or, do we have no? Do? Uh, why don't you tell me tell me about your classes that you've been doing?
0: Because you just finished that course, and I've I've been really excited to hear more about it.
1: Okay, all right. So obviously that was a flawless setup for, for yeah. It was a really
0: solid um, <laughs> a segue. It. You know, I was
1: about to I was about to go on to our thing, and I was like, oh shit. I <laughs> This is why you write things out, guys. So yes, I just finished, or last week I finished the Florida Atlantic hospitality course that they offered um, for free to people uh, during the, during the pandemic. Uh, Florida Atlantic is um, a school that's like close to Cora Gables. I want to believe, I want to say, I mean, they mentioned it a lot. Um, If they're not, they mentioned it a lot. But uh, it's, a, it's a school that's known for its hospitality program. I mean, you got to think that, you know, Florida is mostly made up of tourism, right, between all the theme parks, uh, obviously the beaches. There's just a lot of tourism that happens there. So they have a pretty great program, and their uh, head of their hospitality department, Peter Ritchie, or Dr. Peter Ritchie, wanted to put out this course, and the school president was on board, and it was kind of crazy how, how quickly it, became, it came together. And I think the last time that we had talked about this, they had 60,000 people register for it. Um, when I completed my course and saw the last thing, they were up to 77,000 people had registered for the course. Um, and then basically what you did was you you you, be, you became a student at Fort Atlantic. And so they had a series of videos that you would watch. They were interviews with um, people from around the industry, from every part, from HR departments to uh, front desk managers, hotel managers, like just, uh, everything that you can think of people who did special events. So like, let's say you were going to go in and have some sort of big conference for your company. Like you would hire so-and-so and and he would do all this stuff for you from, you know, he would also like, they would set up incentive trips. So let's say, you know, you're working for a spirits company, you want a trip to Hawaii, they plan everything out for you. So it was all over the place in terms of experiences and stuff like that, which was really cool.
0: That's right.
1: Yeah. And they, um, you know, in the first part, like just kind of getting into hospitality, I want to say each interview was anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, and there was 14 of those videos. Wow. Um, yeah, I think I think total coursework, if you watched, you know, you had to watch everything, was around like 25 hours, I want to say. So it was no joke. Okay. And there was definitely a couple parts, um, especially when they got into like the financials and stuff like that, because they taught you how to figure out like what your earning potential was, your occupancy rate and stuff like that, like things that I had never and will never use again. So it's not that very, you know, as interesting to me, but it was still kind of interesting to learn, it, you know? I mean, you don't know. I mean, I, you That's know. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, especially
0: the, the amount of people that you come in contact with that you might just pull that knowledge back up out, out of out of the back of your brain Mm -hmm. and help them with, even if it doesn't help yourself, it it, it might come in really handy.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, um, so that was really cool. And after each section, you had to take a test and you had to get at least 80% on each test. So um, so that was cool. It was, you know, that's how they kind of like, you know, prove that you did the course and stuff like that. Because obviously you couldn't figure out the questions if you didn't actually listen to what was going on. What was your lowest score? <laughs> um, the the one with the with the hotel financials I really struggled with because there was just a lot of math and I'm just not I, that's just not me.
0: Okay, so um, I've got a story. I um, year, a few years ago, I uh was asked to apply for a job at the Mandarin Oriental in Tokyo. I was one of six people. Up for the job internationally to run their three bars, one of which is a Michelin star uh, restaurant, and they sent me their their application. They had like legit trigonometry and advanced algebra on this application. To which my wife, who's a teacher, uh, mind you, for the sixth grade, uh, but also is a lot better at math and uh, academic math than I am, uh, we both struggled (laughs) with with finding the answers. And it's not that they gave us the answers or it wasn't like multiple choice in any way. It was just, here's the sheet, answer questions, we'll get back to you. Uh, I got offered the job. I don't know. I don't know how much that math came into play though, but I'm curious if any of that probably ended up on your exam as well, or if it was just, I have, or if they just wanted to see if I was smart and I probably failed. (laughs) So, Well, you said you got the job offer though, right? I did get the job. offer. Well, it was up against six, five other Americans and, uh, uh one dude from England and um uh I was it was for a, a 6 month stint and I got offered the second second stint so they chose someone else above me and then they offered me the next one which I wasn't able to do at the time when they offered it to me but um what a so who knows if I got the math right I don't know
1: Well, I mean you had to do like okay you had at least to do second best
0: you know? Maybe they saw my my work and were like, "All right, like he knows something." I guess. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like he wouldn't be a complete disaster here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so your your story about hotel math—that's uh, that that. That's that's pretty good.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and it was and it was cool. I just, I mean, it definitely, um, you know, reminded me of the times I used to struggle with math back in college. And and I do have to say that you know for those for those people that are taking online classes right now, whether it's for college or high school or whatever the case may be, you really or really elementary good. school, or yeah, everybody across the board. I really really feel oh. for everybody in those positions because um, it is hard to learn in that environment. Like because you know you're just it's just really hard. So I just feel really bad for anybody who's currently dealing with that right now. Um, you know, especially if you, if you have to pay for it and you have to pay thousands of dollars for it. Right. Right. And you're getting online uh, instructions. So that just, that just blows. But, um, but you know, overall I got a ton out of the course and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, they gave me a nice little certificate too. And uh, you know, if I, if I ever have to fill out a resume again, I can uh, add that to, uh, <laughs> something to my certificates point. You know, never been able to do that before.
0: Hey, man! So, I mean, even even just for posterity, I, I think that that's pretty amazing that you did that. That's pretty cool.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, and you know and I I think it's think it's important to always continue to learn and to learn some new stuff. So you know, after that, my uh, my mom's like, hey, here's some more stuff, and she got me and couldn't you know hooked me up with that harvard uh learning center thing that they're doing yeah right now. yeah and so i'm taking a class on buddhism now um oh, cool. here's here's the kicker with the harvard stuff you can audit the classes and you can and, and all that which is great but if you want this if you want to be certified or get a certificate for doing it you have to pay 50 bucks so <laughs> good for them. I was like, hey, all right. I just got a free class, so that's I mean yeah. just
0: to get a certificate that says Harvard on it is pretty worth it.
1: Um yeah, I guess you know I didn't think about it that way. I was more so thinking of it like who the fuck is gonna care that I took a course on Buddhism? Like, you know. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. It sounded interesting to me. But you're right, if I was able to put um Harvard on a resume i guess that i guess that does make uh make the 50 bucks maybe worth it we'll see oh Um, definitely yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. i'll I'll ask the wife she's uh she makes that kind of decisions for us Uh, that sounds smart that's why
0: she went to harvard or should have gone yeah totally those things
1: uh all right let's get into headlines headlines Pausing for effect. Uh, Heaven Hill making big, big announcements this week. They are going to be consolidating as much of their distribution as they possibly can with a pretty small outfit. Not sure if you've ever heard of them before. Southern Glacier Spirits? That is so crazy. Across 39 (laughs) states, they have moved their entire distribution to Southern Glacier. So for listeners at home... Heaven Hill has brands like Admiral Nelson, Blackheart, so not a big rum focus there, but their whiskey lineup has uh, Black Velvet, Elijah Craig, Evan Williams, Henry McKenna, Mellow Yellow, Larceny, uh, and then Old Fitzgerald, Parker's Heritage, Rittenhouse, Pikesville, and then a couple other fun ones, Luna's Old Tequila, and then Pama, Pomegranate, Liqueur, which is Both of our, some of our favorites, (laughs) Um, but, uh, so they're, they're making the transition to Southern, uh, at least in California, they'll be moving from Young's over to Southern. So if you are a buyer, you know, get those closeout deals. But, um, from what I've been told, they will be given their own dedicated team. Yeah. They're, they're,
0: they're following suit. Like, uh, like Bacardi did. And when they merged with, uh, Red Bull under Southern Glacier, and and getting their own getting their own team and uh, and and moving to the big boys. I mean, not like Youngs is small by any means, but I, I think it's fair to say that that Southern Glacier is the biggest of them all.
1: I mean, it's a it's another it's another big blow to Youngs. Um, now, I think they're also somewhat in the process of getting bought out by a bigger outfit as well. I've heard this rumor, uh, as well. Yep. And it, it might be more merger than buyout, but we'll see. Uh, I, I, it does make me curious though. It's like when you, when you start to see how many brands and companies that are now being distributed by, by Southern, it's like, I wonder where that monopoly conversation starts, you know? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great
0: question in any industry. Uh, especially when you start talking about tech industry, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the arguments from them is always going to be that you know, Young's still exists, JVS exists, Pack Edge exists, right? So, uh, how much of a of a monopoly could they possibly be, right? So,
1: right, and there uh, and there are some there are some bigger uh, ones if you can like the mid, uh, the Midwest states and stuff, and I'm totally blanking on the name of the company that was looking to join with Young's market. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, they have great lawyers. They get sued all the time. So um, (laughs) they figure it out. I, I think it's smart, you know, in terms of, in terms of heaven Hill. I mean, we have a couple of suppliers that have products with us, but then they have other products within their portfolio with other distributors. And I've always just thought that was so bizarre you know, especially within, um, you know, a single state to have it split up like that. So yeah, that's, that's always been odd to me as well. I mean, I understand like maybe leaning on people's strengths and stuff like that, but then even when I look at some of these lineups, I'm like, well, we're really good at that. Why does this person have it? You know, but whatever. Um, but especially on a national scale, like if you can consolidate as much as you can, because every state is going to be different, right. How you operate and everything like that. So if at least you can kind of, be like, well, at least we're always at least we're with Southern across the board, you know. And um, yeah, I've had conversations with with friends recently who have taken their brands to Southern, and you know they promise a pretty attractive, you know, package for people. And it's hard to say no to some of those numbers because they are the biggest one, and they're literally everywhere. Um, and if you are going to get your own dedicated team, you know, the positive there is that you don't get kind of lost in the shuffle, which I think happens to, you know, smaller brands that, that head there. And it's just because like, they just have so many brands, especially in California, you know?
0: Well, they have so many brands and then they have so many departments as well. And so many teams uh, as a buyer, you know, it's uh, it, it's a little, you know, tough to keep up with who to order what from, especially when half of them are all from one company
1: (laughs) yeah i think i think one thing though that they're trying to chase i I did have this conversation with a southern rep the other day was um in the days that i was working with southern through diageo um there were deals that were available to our team but they weren't available to the whole southern team which totally never made made sense to me but you know whatever i guess you got to justify people's jobs i guess they've tried to they've moved away from that and if you're you know you have access to all of the deals. Like they're all well, present that, and they've also eliminated a lot of stuff too. T-T-B,
0: TTB is a lot to blame for that. I mean, they, they've they really cracked down on a lot of these deals that people can do between uh, distributor and uh, point of sale, you know, and uh, they've gotten, they have forced a lot of these companies to get rid of those deals and make everything a lot more homogenized.
1: Yeah. And um I don't, I don't know what this looks like, but part of that same conversation, um, with the rep was just like, you know, outside of just the whole COVID thing, he goes, we have some major, major changes coming within the next year. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know? Oh, totally. Boy, I'm yeah. very excited to see what this looks like. You know, cause when you start having like the biggest gorilla in the room is like, we're going to be flexible and change. You're like, Oh my God, like that this is going to ripple through the entire industry.
0: You know, totally, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, that's how you know there's going to be massive cultural shift. I agree, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so moving on, but kind of staying in the same vein, Nova Fogo, um, our friends from Brazil are going to be joining the Sazerac book.
0: Yeah, I was really, uh, I think more shocked to see this than I was to. Hear about uh, Heaven Hill. This, you know, for a long time, Novo being being a small independent brand, um, you know, at least here in California, distributed through Pack Edge, who's done a great job with them. I mean, they 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 have pretty decent reach, but they for sure still have space to grow. And I I, I think moving in with Sazerac is is a, a really wise move. On their part, um, it's a it's a larger brand. It's still a, it's still um, I don't know. Like it rides the line, it rides the fence between being a boutique brand and being uh, being a national brand. I mean, it's well, obviously yeah. a national. It's obviously a national brand, right? I mean, you're talking Rittenhouse, you're talking Sazerac, um, but and Fireball. they have an a, and Fireball. <laughs> and that's not. That's not. That's fair. That's fair. Put
1: that elephant in the corner.
0: (laughs) But they, you know, I mean, a lot of their brands tend to be considered at least boutique brands, right? So getting on board with them, I think their exposure is going to be exponentially more, as well as their distribution now, their potential and the people who are going to be selling them. They're they're going to get a lot more
1: play. Yeah. Imagine the situation where you have to buy. Seventeen cases of Nova Fogo to get your Pappy Van Winkle now. Uh, I would gladly do that versus <laughs> Fireball,
0: <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure Dragos would is is probably uh, uh, pitching that himself right now as we speak. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So, they, so they also have, um, so they have that stuff. They have the Buffalo Trace, you know, marks. Looks um, so like they have the Barton's line. Um, let's see their rum really needed this shot of adrenaline Um, that is a that is a plastic bottle collection right there (laughs) what's in that collection Drew know what some of it is (laughs) Calypso rum I know I've seen that a few places yeah I've seen Calypso um, they do have the 51 Kasasha in there. Sure. So I wonder how long that will last. Let's see.
0: Well, that's a well brand, you know, so it's, I mean, it's entirely different marketing. Right, again.
1: Yeah. Um, they have Glenn Farkless. They mm-hmm. claim to still have um, Pandaren. So this has not been updated recently. <laughs> ah, gotcha. <laughs>
0: For those Pindarin. who don't know, Drew Drew slings Pandaren. Dude, we
1: crush with that stuff now. All right. actually, stuff is freaking delicious. So that's really really cool. So yeah, I mean, you know, we have we have some good buddies that that work with um, work with Nova Fogo. So we're excited for them. Um, oh,
0: little uh, little factoid here: the very first bottle sold at Good Bottle was a bottle of Pandaren.
1: That is true. Yep, it is true. To um, it was the, the portwood. It was or, the portwood. Yeah. yeah. We, gotta take a, we gotta take a picture of that, put it up on the wall. It's like this was the first. Um, started it all. It's like people put a, <laughs> people put a dollar up. Got a we still
0: have we have our we have our dollar uh, scotch tape to the to our wall. There you go. See? We should probably get it uh, framed, but I feel like the scotch tape is more our vibe. Definitely. <laughs>
1: I'll get you like a Xerox copy of a, of a picture of a bottle of the uh, Portwood. And that Perfect.
0: Can... And we'll just tape one over the other. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, you know, I, I, I think anytime though, that you do see a brand like Nova Fogo, who, you know, there's such a huge emphasis on sustainability and then there's also just limits to what they can produce. Right. Um, so much of the, the area surrounding their distillery is like protected land. You know, if they can't, mess with anything and um if they do it's you know like like once every few years so it's um yeah they have to apply to cut down a tree right and so i just you know i I just think anytime that you go to a a bigger brand and as you had mentioned earlier sometimes that's just about um that's just about distribution. That's just about, you know, a bigger reach. But I mean, I always just feel like there's just, there's more expectations that come with that and it's harder to have that conversation and kind of being like, no, we can't produce this because there just literally isn't enough of it, you know? And sometimes that, that falls on deaf ears when you get into like the bigger companies, not saying that that's what Zazerac is. I mean, they're, they're awesome. They do a really, really great job, but you know, that's just, I can't help but to think that way when, um,
0: yeah that's I mean that's that's certainly warranted Um, and I knowing knowing the owner of this company uh, at least the little bit that I do uh, he is a very intelligent man and my guess is that he has taken all that into consideration you know he he definitely did not make this move blindly yeah right like he, he, he this was a calculated
1: decision and I'm relatively impressed by it. I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, again, if you look at what they have brands wise, I mean, the, the whiskey portfolio is, is pretty untouchable. Um, but there's a lot that's left to desired when it comes to some of their other offerings, you know, um, sure. in terms of just like really high quality craft products. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having well products and things that are affordable and, can go and drinks with no problem, but you know sometimes you're just kind of like, hey, let's get something, you know, just a little bit craftier and stuff. And and again, I'm I might be looking at a website that's like painfully old, but um, yeah, I'm not seeing a whole lot here that I would want to drink outside of their American whiskey portfolio. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so good luck, Nova Fogo. Um, <laughs> And then our, our last news story is actually something that I feel very close to, and that is the growth of French rosé wine. You, do you want to explain why you feel close to that? Because I go to your shop and I say, give me all the French stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is, this is also a new phenomenon for you, though, which I, I've been really impressed with. Uh, even when I tell you to decant something, your response is always what?
1: Just put it in my belly. I'm it'll de- it or it'll
0: decant in my belly. It'll decant yeah. in my belly. Yeah. Which is makes me cringe, but also makes me laugh. <laughs> like I feel like you're playing yourself when I tell you this, but I also really respect it. So. Well,
1: listen. Okay. I... We'll definitely, you know, jump right into it when it comes to drinking the wine. But eventually, that third and fourth glass, those are pretty decanted. So I'm getting the experience. That is, that's not true, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but
0: yeah. So, so we have, um, especially I'm, not at the velocity in which you drink
1: wine. I know. I was looking. At <laughs> I was looking at it the other day, and I was like. I was like, "How do we not have any wine? I just want wine." <laughs> oh yeah, I drank it all. Um, it's it's bad, but okay. So so you brought in LBV Imports, which is which is owned and ran by Kelly Baminos, close friend of yours. I'm mm-hmm. developing my relationship with her, so but I she's going to be on my virtual happy hour. I'm really excited about it. But she brings all these French wines, and so that's where it kind of started for me. Where I was like, "Just give me all the French wines."
0: Yeah, she has this amazing boutique collection. She was uh, actually the first. When I when I opened uh, Good Bottle, I ordered everything that she had in stock in her catalog uh, to supply my shelves because I knew that it was dope. I knew that it fit our, um, uh, you know, our MO. And I knew that if I were to sell it, I, I tasted all of it, mind you, but it meant that I didn't have to pick and choose when I was getting started and that I could concentrate my picking and choosing somewhere else. Yeah. So I, I brought in literally everything that she had in, in her, um, in, in her warehouse at the time.
1: Yeah. And so she, she did a, she did a really great job. And so as of recently, you know, when the, when the buying first started, it was more winter time. So I was, you know, definitely. And I drink reds year round, but definitely heavier on the reds thing. And then um, I think in my, Previous two trips, it's been uh, the white wines and the rosés and stuff like that. And the rosés from France, like I mean, they are just there's just so much more body to them. They are um, they have this beautiful complexity, but at the same time, it has that brightness, refreshing Christmas that you want out of a rosé, right? Sure, um, yeah. And I've just I, I've just really really been enjoying them um so when you sent me this article uh you know they're it's basically talking about how you know despite the tariffs which remember when the tariffs were like the biggest part of our show like remember <laughs> yeah well, we dedicated like four or five episodes to that <laughs> <laughs> like, we, like we're like are like the tariffs those are so horrible <laughs> But you know what? They still exist. So they still exist, and that's that's (laughs) actually crazy, right? Is that you have this this enormous tax that's still being levied against um, single malts, uh, single malt whiskeys, and uh, French wines, French wines, and and other other items. Blue jeans. But but now you know there's COVID, so there's there's bigger fish to fry. I guess Um, so. But uh, but yeah, so they're they're seeing despite these despite these tariffs, like people are are buying more French products and they're seeing this increase of, you know, 2.6%, which, you know, equals out to quite a, quite a bit. Um, And then the main driver, and I think it's really, I I mean, for myself as someone who enjoys wine, but can definitely get into the bougie side of it, it's the 10 to $13 offerings. Um, And I think maybe that's where I was caught off guard when I first got turned on to the French wine was I was like, I was like, wait a minute! I thought all of this was supposed to be expensive, and you can really find some quality, affordable bottles. Um, I don't think I've gone as low as ten bucks, but I'm definitely in that like fifteen to twenty range. Um, buying a lot of those bottles, and it's just it's really, really great stuff. So, if you haven't jumped into the French wine rosés, especially you know this time of year, I mean, go get it, girl, because it's. <laughs> it's, it's well, your, your particular favorite is, is one of mine as well,
0: uh, and that's the Archambault, which is 100% rosé of Cabernet, which is not something we typically see here in the
1: U.S. Because are, are we usually seeing pinots for rosé? Uh,
0: you or know, I, I feel like at least here uh, in Sacramento and Northern California, we see a lot of Grenache and Zinfandel. Mm. Um, and some of those fruitier uh, roses. I have been having a lot more people bring me Pinot's, but I think that's coming down to me training my 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 sales staff so that way they know they know what I'm looking for um, because those tend to be a little bit more fruity. Pinot Noirs tend to have a little bit more earth and funk to them and require a more of a deft touch. In, in creating that wine I cool. feel I'm sure someone out there is rolling their eyes at me but you know that's that's my perception
1: I, I mean you know it's it's funny earlier tonight uh doing uh doing the virtual happy hour I had uh Jay Vanny on from Broken Shed Vodka yeah and um he is actually a level two sommelier I don't he know is I,
0: that. I did know and, that
1: um, and I thought that was uh that was super interesting and we were just talking about the process and, and things like that. And, um, you know, I've, I've always like, actually one of my goals this year was to complete the level one som and then look into level two. And, um, you know, obviously everything's on hold right now, so we'll see what happens. But, um, but it was, you know, when you're, you're here talking about the different um, terroirs and stuff like that. And part of the level two sommelier test is a 10 glass, blind taste where you have to identify the grape and the region
0: right yeah um,
1: and you know i,
0: I that is didn't... really fucking hard <laughs> i don't think people understand just how hard that is
1: i don't i i think you're wrong i think people fully understand how hard that is because i think about it i'm like how the fuck do you even do that i think um, most people just drink wine
0: and go yeah that's yummy <laughs> i don't think well, anybody thinks I'm... like oh could I tell you what this is?
1: Right. Well, I, I mean, I think you're right about that, but I, but I think if you prompt them and be like, "Hey, if you can you identify this," they'd be like, "Hell no, that's some crazy stuff." And then if you know, if you get to like the level three some that's when you start getting into like vintages, right? And right, which yeah. to me is just like, yeah. and you got to think about like the amount of
0: the amount of that's like actually wine, what. So what you're talking think. about, you're talking about your your um, professional wine server. You're talking about the, that's that's the quote unquote level one. Uh, then you have your, um, oh, oh Chris, what is it? You have your, I forget what the level two is called. Then you have your advanced psalm, and then you have your master psalm. So level one isn't even considered a sommelier yet. And and that that's because so many people were taking the exam. They had to split it up. And and very few people were advancing onto their advanced som. So what they did is they they broke it into a fourth level. So you have to take that intro, just to be a professional wine surfer, which is your basic knowledge. That level two that you're talking about is that is that um. It's evading me, um, but that's when you actually got to add the sommelier label onto your you know onto your title
1: that's cool i mean and he was he was talking about the process and um what they would he had like a study group and the study group basically was responsible for everybody would bring a bottle from a certain like region or whatever so they would say okay if we're going to do um you know burgundy everybody bring something you know a red from burgundy but just make sure they're all different you know right right um which you're just like man that's a cool study group like Wow, I really want to be a part of something like that. Yeah, uh, hell yeah. And um, so in, in one of these days, we're not going to have small children anymore, and maybe we'll have time to do stuff like that again. Oh, you're uh, adorable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have some other stressful thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, so to, to get back, like you know try to get back to whatever the hell we were talking about was uh, these the. Despite the tariffs, which again is just crazy, you know French wine sales are are going up, and I don't I don't know what you can contribute that to. I mean, is it? I mean, again, okay, it's affordable. Your your main driver is a ten to thirteen dollars, so you're not you're not breaking the bank to do it. But you know, why are people opting? For- I think it's summer. I think it's summer.
0: I think it's affordability, and I think for some reason it's accessibility. Now people are able to get their hands on it uh, probably a little bit more often. I think we're we're starting to see a little bit move of away from the Californication of wine into more of a global understanding of what wine is.
1: You know, I wonder if the if the tax is actually benefiting the French wine in the sense. And, you know, bear with me on this one, but... If you if you go into a wine shop and you're not necessarily uh, you know you're not an aficionado but you're not you know you're not looking for two buck chuck not to knock two buck chuck but you just want something a little bit nicer right if you were looking at rose bottles from France a year ago and those things were clock were were ringing up at eight nine dollars right but then you saw like a California rose that was maybe at thirteen fourteen okay. You're thinking to yourself, Well, I can't get a, a sub ten dollar bottle. It's gotta be crap, right? Well, now with this increase, now that bottle's just a little bit more expensive and puts it into a different price bracket. Does it change the way that a buyer looks at it? Because it's not sub ten dollars anymore. It's just a little bit more expensive. It's not crazy expensive and it's from France. And no, now it sounds a little bit, like, oh well that's where wine's from, quote unquote. You know, even though we know it's not true. But there you go. Do you think I mean that be the factor?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that, that is, I'm sure you must have covered this in, in your uh, course that you you just took, but um, that psychology is, is rampant across the food and beverage industry. There's a reason why on, on restaurant menus and bar menus, you see something that costs very, very little and something that costs significantly more than kind of everything else. More your two most sold items are going to be the the item that costs just above the lowest and just under the most. Right? Yeah. Because people don't want to get the cheapest A because they don't value it and B because they don't want to be seen as cheap. Also the one just under the most expensive, they don't want to be they don't want to spend that money but they want to be seen kind of spending money
1: you just described every wine bottle purchase i've ever made at a restaurant ever you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> it's like you were peering
0: into my soul hopefully some of those were good too
1: <laughs> of you know, the time they are i mean obviously i understand different grape varietals and and i and i certainly enjoy different regions but you know there's there's sometimes where you know i look at those wine menus and i'm just like good lord like how are there this many different wines and um and you know my wife will always kind of default to me she's like well you know this more than i do and then unless she's just kind of like you yeah, know i want to drink a white or i want to drink a red tonight but then i get this list and i'm like shit now i'm responsible for making <laughs> this decision <laughs> based on completely arbitrary personal rules of like well yeah the cheapest and then but also not being like well we're not going to walk out of here with a you know 500 hundred dollar bill so yeah you know but yeah, that 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 pretty much sums up my <laughs> my wine, wine, um, for the most part. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I, you know, and I mean, people have studied this. It's 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 an art form and it's a science. You know, it's not it is there's a lot of give and take, and uh, you and I have lots of conversation about my own my own list and my own thinking in inside of my own shop and and the things that I struggle with.
1: Um, well, there there was a conversation that I had with um more of you know kind of a wine expert and we were talking about how any bottle on on a wine list is essentially negotiable right if you're if you're well versed in it enough you know so if you go in and you see you know x bottle for 100 bucks and you notice on the back bar they're still sitting on like 12 of them or whatever I mean, my my buddy was telling me he's like, dude, you can go in there and you can probably offer him seventy five, sixty, seventy five dollars cash to get it. Like, take that bottle right now, or buy a couple, but get them at a discount because you know it's good, but you don't want to pay hundred because you know how much it really should cost. And I was blown yeah. away by that. Yeah. And then like, yeah. I like I confirmed that with multiple Somalians. Like, yeah, we have some flexibility on bottles. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like Why am I making these decisions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that holds up. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, obviously, I mean, people people make purchases for their wine menu based on their own knowledge, right? And 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 sort of the curse of knowledge is that the more you know, the less you're in touch with everybody else. But if you're on, you you can't operate on the level that everybody else is operating on, and make those purchases because then you, you don't know. You don't know what the fuck you're doing, right? So it's it's sort of a catch-22 because you you have to know what the fuck you're doing in order to, to choose a good list. But it requires some insight and some empathy to the consuming public in order to give them something that they're going to enjoy, both in terms of price, something that's going to be attractive to them, both visually, you know, their their taste experience. And then also be, be something that they feel comfortable with ordering just based on a name. Yeah. You know, and, and then that, that same good,
1: that same thinking kind of stretches over into retail as well. It'd be really interesting to find somebody who studies this stuff and see if we can get them either on the podcast or the, put, the, 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 podcast. the podcast or the happy hour. Um, yeah, it'd be great. And eventually, guys, I'm gonna get Chris to to release some of those happy hours on our podcast because there are some good ones. Uh, there definitely are some good ones, and there are some people that just like mind blown information, but they're long. So make sure you plan those road trips for it. Um, okay, so to wrap things up tonight, we do have <laughs> we have another update on a story that just doesn't seem to want to go away for us, but. South Africa has now <laughs> opened up wine exports. Yay! And you um, you actually got some South uh, South African, South African wine.
0: wine. Yeah, I did. I, I, I made a very specific effort to bring some South African wine in. And while I am stoked to be able to do so... I'm like, God damn it. Now I can't tell this story <laughs> to help me
1: sell it. <laughs> yeah, you definitely lost that opportunity. So what's really funny about that is so, so you buy some South African wine this week after we have two weeks of South African conversation. I was introduced to a South African, South African agave spirit. This yeah,
0: I was, week. I was laughing at the comments on your social media threads of people being so upset by the fact that there was a South African
1: agave spirit. I mean, it was definitely, oh man. Um, Yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's people who, when you start, when you start getting into niche items. Okay. So let's say Mezcal, right. And you become a quote unquote defender of it. Um, you you start to take these things as like personal, like attacks and stuff like that, and I and I think that's unfortunate because obviously Mexico doesn't have exclusive rights to agave production. You know, agave grows all over the world. Um, now, I mean, I understand wanting to protect mezcal like the the trademark and stuff like that, but yeah, it's it's always it's always interesting to kind of see what what weird spirits like this will start in terms of conversation, and that one definitely started a a pretty um, contentious re- conversation at certain points um, yeah I, you know I mean, I mean this is
0: nothing new I mean you know the the French were extremely extremely defensive over quality wines in the 1970s you know they could they could not believe that quality wine came from California right. and now we have it coming from literally all over the world so I mean this this is not a new phenomenon
1: yeah and um, you know and, and I I I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but you know, one of my biggest biggest takeaways from from doing all these virtual happy hours and talking with people from all over the industry, all over the world, you know, and people who are really influential in our industry too, is that at a certain point you just gotta get to that place where you're like, Does it taste good? Okay, drink yeah. it. That's what yeah. matters. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, with this one I, I went up to my buddy's shop and he was like I have this open you want to try it. I was like absolutely I do. It's super light. Um, it's approachable. It just tastes it tastes like it was done the right way and I I've, I've since talked to people about it who have seen this production they're like yeah the guy doesn't mess around. Like he takes it very very seriously. Uh, he also apparently makes really good wine. So um
0: that's really cool. I mean yeah. there's something there's there's really something to be said and I I I think that there's you know, coming back onto your point of does it taste good, drink it, the more that you know and the more you consume, the more that you educate your palate, whether or not you personally like something is very different as to whether or not something is good, right? Totally. And, yeah. and that's something that I always try to bring across in my educations and my tastings and my consulting is remove yourself from this equation. Right? You, can put, you can put that back in into the equation later, but let's first discuss and experience what this is. And let's talk about the quality of it and what you're getting from it first. Because honestly, any good bartender is going to tell you this. When you walk up to my bar and you ask me what I like to drink, that doesn't matter at all because I'm not you, right? Like you don't know me. I don't know you so when I tell you I like three shots of overproof tequila, you go, oh, bro, not that. I go, well, you asked, right? <laughs> That's not, that has nothing to do with the equation. So, but being able to understand a quality booze is really where the education starts to take you.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, for for myself and my own journey, it's like, I, if, even if I don't like something, you know, you try to think about it in terms of okay, well, can this sell? Can we do this? Can we do that? I mean, the right. box Tequila is a good example of that. Um, or like, there's other tequilas that I've had that they're just not for my palate, and it's just kind of like, oh, it's not for me, but that is for somebody else. And yeah, and uh, and I think I've like anytime I take issue with brands at this point, I try to make it based on production, or or misleading marketing or something like that like if something just doesn't taste good but they kind of do things all the right way like okay that's fine like whatever that's just not for me that's the case with a lot of mescals for me yeah is, you know they're doing it all these traditional ways and it's awesome that they're doing it that way and then i try and I'm like i mean yeah I, I mean personally i think it sucks but whatever i mean they're feeding their family yeah
0: but you know we're jaded also you know we have such access it's just such amazing shit all the time Right, yeah. and so it's it's what I call the you know the thousand thread count effect. You know, if you sleep on bed sheets that have a thousand thread count, going back to wool sucks. It doesn't mean that wool sheets suck. It just means that all of a sudden you've experienced thousand thread count sheets.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and I'll say this about like the South African agave spirit. Um, you know, it's. If this was something from Oaxaca, there's no way I would have I would have gotten it. No way. Sure, because it's it's just it's a pretty easy drinking agave, and there's not a ton of complexity to it or anything like that. But it's like this is from South Africa. It has dope packaging. It is a truly unique product um, and something that I want to have on my back bar. You know, and that when I am doing mezcal flights and stuff like that, I will be pouring some of this as well because this is just super interesting. Uh,
0: Yeah, and you know, nothing happens within a vacuum, right? Like, so the fact that it comes from South Africa matters, right? Yeah. Like, if you're doing a blind tasting, sure, fine. You know, that's that's all well and good. But you have to take into consideration all the other facts that surround it.
1: Right, right, yeah, and it has to make sense in terms of those comparisons, right? Right,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that that helps you put things into context. That doesn't mean that that just automatically makes it good, but it but
1: it offers you context. Yeah, Right. absolutely. So so in a very roundabout way, you can get South African wine again, <laughs> so, which is you know again that wasn't that wasn't. Point nine dollar industry a year and it was growing yeah so um and
0: you know what i'm not even upset about it the the wine that i brought in i am super excited to sell yeah i'm just sad that i don't get that sarah mclaughlin moment you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) when uh when do you get it
0: uh it should be
1: arriving on thursday okay i was like i'm gonna be around tomorrow so i was gonna pick something up but uh Looks like we'll have to wait. You mean I get to see you a little bit more? Aww. You know what? I would I would spend more time in downtown SAC if it wasn't so goddamn weird down there right now.
0: It's pretty strange. It's pretty yeah. strange. So,
1: yeah. you know, gotta pick and choose my spots, buddy. <laughs> um, well, with that, I mean, I got nothing left. You got anything? I'm sure I do, but, you know.
0: We're just going to talk about it. about it next week. I've had too much Benedictine right now,
1: so I mean, who knows where it's from? I don't know. Hopefully, we get lots of corrections this week. <laughs> I, uh, you know, we keep asking
0: people to reach out to us, and no one ever does. Well, you yeah. know what they do so. is they
1: text. They text. I mean, I don't. I don't know if you get this, but like I get text messages from people about stuff.
0: Oh, I don't. They must find you more approachable than they find me. Uh,
1: maybe. Which is weird if you consider, if you think about it, but.
0: I, yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. People think I'm a big deal. <laughs> and uh, you know. That seems accurate.
1: Yeah, I get I get positive feedback. I really do. And I think that's what um, you know, keeps me motivated to keep doing this and enjoying the process and you know, I'm I'm putting out an awful lot of content right now and I'm getting a little exhausted with it. But uh, you know, this is fun and this will continue to be fun and I think what I think what we need to do is we gotta we gotta get a guest back in here. We gotta get uh, like Brad and uh, Lindsay were great last week, but we only got them at the end. You know, that's true. Yeah, we, if we can. Yeah, be, we need someone to read
0: some headlines. goddammit. it. Yeah, read some headlines. Get some
1: thoughts. You know, from yeah.
0: on, on the industry. And, oh man, uh, now you're gonna get hit up a lot. People are like, bro, I'm ready. Let's do this.
1: Well, they gotta listen first. So. We'll
0: <laughs> that was a that was a, a clear cut at uh, Travis Baker and uh, Brian
1: McGregor. Yeah. So. Uh, they start listening. Hold well, but uh all right man that's all i got for you
0: all right homie well i'll see you soon yeah definitely cheers cheers bud
1: the good bottle podcast was recorded at the good bottle shop in
0: sacramento california music is by leon moore and chase moore follow us on facebook and instagram at the good bottle podcast